0: I am Victor Milligan
1: and I'm Jennifer Isabella, your
0: co-host for Forrester's podcast, What It Means, where we explore the major changes in the market influencing executive priorities. And joining us on the phone today is Enza Yanopolo, senior analyst at Forrester to discuss the state of the four-letter word GDPR and what we expect next. Welcome, Enza.
2: Thank you. Good morning, everyone.
0: So GDPR is live. We weren't sure what to expect. Was it going to be carnage, headlines? Was it going to be sort of a slow start and just a bunch of investigatory background stuff? So as we look from May to as we speak now, where are we in terms of the implementation of GDPR?
2: I would like to say uh, all of the above and uh, none of the above. <laughs> so, what we are going to, what we are seeing is, um, uh, you know, customers saying nothing is happening. These regulators are doing nothing for the DPR enforcement. So, uh, you know, with was a lot of panic. It didn't um, come to um, to anything. But actually, that's not the reality. It's true the big headlines are still to come, but uh, regulators are working hard. There is a lot of work going on in the, um, uh, you, you know, behind the scenes. Um, in particular, we know, uh, that uh, the uh, Irish regulator alone reported after one month of GDPR enforcement that they had received more than 1,000 um, breach notifications. And also the UK regulators reported a, a increase a considerable increase in the number of breach notifications they have received. Now um, this doesn't necessarily mean that all those companies will receive a fine. and it doesn't mean that comp- the regulators will follow up investigating all of these companies, but certainly there is a portion of these companies that are going through uh, investigation, uh, investigations as we speak, um, and certainly we will see the results of those investigations um, sooner rather than later. Um, we also know, uh, this is interesting, that the UK regulator is running a number of proactive Auditing. So they are knocking companies' door and ask for evidence of GDPR compliance. And this doesn't happen because there is a breach. It doesn't happen because there is um, any, uh, you know, trigger coming from outside. is a regulator taking that action. Uh, and we also know that customers are reporting to regulators um, uh, what they believe are misconduct. From um, businesses um, in the UK, I believe that we are looking at probably um, customers complain over data protection, uh, which is three times as much uh, this same time last year. And it's interesting because last year the UK regulator reported the highest number of data protection concerns from citizens. Uh, since regulators started operating, so you know, if last year was the the, the the biggest number so far, this year we are three times as much. So clearly, there is a lot going on, and we know from uh, you know a previous investigation of the regulator that um, having a cla- um, having a customer saying or reporting to the regulator that a company cannot comply with a right to be forgotten request or with a data access request, that is that is enough ground for the regulator to open up an investigation.
0: You mentioned the UK several times. As Brexit unfolds, in whichever way it unfolds, is the UK going to maintain or preserve GDPR is or is it does something break with Brexit?
2: Yes, so it's a very interesting question, um, uh, Victor. Um, uh, the UK already passed a uh, um, data protection act, Data Protection Act 2018, uh, that has been passed to reflect GDPR standards and more. In fact, the UK regulation at this point is the only one in Europe that has already, um, as part of it, the group action, which is a class action related to data protection uh, abuses. Now, um, uh, as I- They said the Data Protection Act in the UK is even stricter than GDPR in many ways. And that has been done, well, first of all, to make sure that this country has data protection protection, uh, beyond what happened with the Brexit, beyond the GDPR. They also have done that because, of course, now with Brexit, the UK will become a third country, Meaning that data from continental Europe, so personal data of citizens in in continental Europe, cannot be freely transferred to the UK anymore. Mm. So, companies in Europe, in Paris, in Italy, in Germany, that, for example, have a contract with a service provider that is based in the UK, and they uh, have sent the data uh, to the, the data centers in the UK cannot do that freely unless the European Commission decides that the UK is an adequate country, meaning it provides a level of data protection that would feel, uh, would make the the regulators in continental Europe feel comfortable that the UK has an an adequate level of protection. But this is a political decision. I mean, it's, it's really up to the Commission to decide if they want to make the UK adequate.
0: But underneath that sits an economic question, I think, if I'm not mistaken, which is if the commission says no to that, what they've done is disadvantaged the U.K. tech sector or those that sort of work in the data data environment. If they say yes to that, they've sort of created a level playing field. But they actually could take steps that would it, which inherently advantaged EU-oriented sex, tech sector coming out of Germany, France, what have you. Is that Did I read that right?
2: That is one of the possible outcomes. I mean, as I said, this is a um, heavily political decision, and uh, uh, yeah, maybe one of the of the logics. And I would say this is not necessarily just the tech sector, because in reality, it means that if you're a company uh, selling, you know, whatever products you sell, and you are in Europe, if you want to keep the relationship with the, your provider of services in the UK, you most likely will need to comply with another framework. You will go through uncertainty, all of these of course. Cost, So, uh, you know, and then it's not easy to change a strategy or to change a provider necessarily if you have been working with a provider for a number of years and that provider can, um, uh, you know, you are happy to keep using that provider. So what happens is, is that that company in Europe will need to go through um, additional costs to make sure that that relationship is still in place. So it's true at the first glance, you might say this is for the tech sector and it will be an advantage of European-based or continental European-based organization. But it might also play out that actually other um, firms in Europe, in continental Europe, uh, might be worse off if that as adequacy is not given.
0: Um, so let me ask you a question. You started this discussion talking about that there were 1,000 notifications of breach in Ireland alone. Does this mean that there's 1,000 Possible hacking incidences in Ireland, and you know the measure is do they respond in seventy-two hours? But nonetheless, there was a thousand hacking incidences reported in Ireland. Did I, is that correct?
2: Um, uh, yes, it may be hacking. It might be uh, you know breach due to uh, um, insider. So, is a user that has made a mistake? Is a user that is you know that a bad intention? Um, it might be different cases, but, uh, you know, it might be hacking, as you are, are um, mentioning. Uh, what what actually it tells me, which is interesting, um, yes, there are all these breaches happening because companies are reporting. However, according to the GDPR, not all breaches need to be reported. The companies should report to those breaches that can create potential risks to the privacy of the individual involved. So those are cases where data is not encrypted, where actually there is an expectation that, yes, there is something going on that really can impact the the privacy of these individuals. So it's identity theft or um, other kind of of, um, potential risks. What it tells is that companies still need to be more educated around when they have to report because to me today, seems that all companies have just taken an approach which is I just report in any case, just to make sure but that is not exactly what it should be done. and also you know for that, I report because it's better to ever report. It also means that you'd potentially trigger an investigation from a regulator, which is not uh, what you want to do unless it's actually the case. Uh, so it suggests that there's a lot of education that still um, uh, needs to happen, even in Europe.
0: Yeah, it's what, I think what strikes me is also sort of like a shout out to Chase Cunningham and Zero Trust, which is it's a heck of a volume for, you know, the, the argument that you've already been breached, you just don't know it yet. I guess that sort of that data sort of supports it's true. that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: It's a true statement. So clearly, Enza GDPR is about the protection of European citizens. But w- what effect has the regulation had on, on sort of global privacy um, regulation in either countries or states within the U.S.?
2: Um, so this is uh, this is interesting. We have seen the um, uh, California Consumer Privacy Act. Uh, being passed recently. Um, We have also seen Brazil pass a data protection um, uh, regulation that in many ways um, looks like the GDPR. We know that Japan has committed to change uh, uh, its domestic data protection regulation to reflect some of the GDPR standards. We know that India is discussing uh, um, an update to existing data protection laws. So definitely, um, as we look outside of Europe, we can see that there is um, convergence of data protection regulation to reflect more and more of these GDPR standards. Um, And this has been also the consideration of multinational organizations that have started with a GDPR compliance program, and and then they have said, Look, we are seeing that in many other countries when we do, where we do business, uh, something similar is happening. They are going to pass legislation that is, um, you know, similar to GDPR. So they expanded the GDPR compliance program to be a, a more comprehensive global privacy program. Uh, and so what we see is actually GDPR becoming this sort of global standards and organisation that uh, work globally to take it really as the global standard.
1: Yeah, and therefore readiness is a global question, right? That it's not just, you know, don't be myopic and looking at privacy within a country or a set of countries, but take a step back and look at it from a global perspective.
0: Well, just to jump in, I mean, that's what I guess that's what alarms me a bit, which is it's sort of a fork in the road. You can say that GDPR is an EU question mm-hmm. and it's only really applicable when I operate in Europe. Or we can argue that privacy is a human right or data protection is a global question and therefore it is the nature of my business. And I think people seemingly are taking fork left, not fork right. The first one.
2: Uh, Yes, and also, um, you know, this is true even more if we for a moment forget about regulators and regulation, and we look at um, consumers' behaviors everywhere. Um, It's not just, uh, you know, our own privacy segmentation telling us that everywhere consumers are changing their behavior uh, to not only reflect their awareness around privacy, uh, but also this is becoming um, an element that drives Behavior chain, behavioral changes uh, everywhere. But I wanted to tell you a story that actually happened uh, um, shortly after May 25th, which was the date where GDPR enforcement started. Um, and I received a call from an organization that is based in the US. And these organizations have, you know, they, they believe that just a very small portion of the overall, um, uh, you, you know, that all their customers, just one small portion was based in. Europe. Everyone else was in the U.S. So for that reason, they didn't take GDPR too seriously because really they thought it's just probably 10%, 15% of our overall um, uh, consumer consumer pay. So they didn't prepare for it. But um, after May 25th, shortly after, they started receiving a great amount of right to be forgotten and data access request. And they didn't know how to act. But the interesting part of that is actually they were receiving these requests not only by the 10% that was located in Europe. They were receiving these requests from their customers located in the US. And this is to say, and there was a decision for them which became a business decision. What do we do? We set up a process for European based um, customers so that they can have their data deleted. And we tell everyone else, hey, you're not based in Europe, so forget about it. Or simply we offer this possibility to everyone because all our customers are asking for it and you know the second option prevailed they decided uh, this is coming from our customers they are located in very different places but it seems that they all want to have the level of transparency and control over their data and they completely shifted the strategy so from a company that has done few or nothing for gdpr to an organization that has decided I need to embrace this as a really uh, a change agent, make some very important decision in the way I handle the personal data of my customers, and I don't care where they are located. I just do that because it's fair uh, to my own customers. And so that was an interesting example. And I have many more that actually followed. Uh, certainly a similar, um, a similar development in the fact that these customers are asking and it's not enough to say, oh, very few are in Europe, so I don't really care. Uh, this is just for those few Europeans, but is not is not the case. And where
1: are we in terms of readiness? Because you you obviously gave an example of one, but how are companies doing today in terms of being ready on a global scale?
2: Uh, probably we are still looking. Thirty uh, percent of organizations globally uh, then report, uh, you know, being ready for GDPR. But then there are there is another portion of organizations that are partially ready, Um, and to me, and this is a a good amount of organizations, definitely more than 30%, probably close to 50%, which is uh, um, our organization that uh, have just taken um, a few of these GDPR requirements. They have ticked some of the boxes, and they are clearly aware that they haven't done uh, the sort of uh, really holistic work that GDPR requires. They are not even sure about where the gaps are, um, and but they are taking the, the approach that we describe as a wait-and-see so, they know they have done few; they think it's enough to respond to a first audit if that happens, but they clearly know that they have a lot of of uh, um, of room uh, to uh, to cover there is a long way to go really, and they are waiting to see what regulators do, what their customers do before they take an action. But I would say that this is probably the condition that describes the most of organizations um, worldwide today
0: yeah i think there's a, there's a funny aspect of timing because. The GDPR readiness, if you're just getting going, you're sitting in Q4, which for many companies at the time where they drive the greatest growth in their company. And GDPR, at least at one level, complicates the methods of growing, growing the pipeline, growing the audience, that type of thing. So you do kind of wonder whether people held a bit the cards to find out what the playing field was really going to be like, to preserve what they could out of the Q4. And then next year, they're like, I'll jump in Q1, Q2, But my attention kind of goes more to the data governance piece, which I know we've talked about before, which is there's this long conversation in many markets about technical debt. There's this conversation about organizational inertia, which is sort of the lack of ability to change. But the other conversation about data debt hasn't been had as aggressively, meaning the the method people use to manage data is not really going to bring them to the modern times. Modern times meaning... Compliance with GDPR and whatever that means, but more so the ability to convert data to fuel, which is sort of that big promised land moment. So, where are they, Enza, in terms of thinking of data governance, sort of in part as a as a GDPR question, but in part as this is the way I need to run my business going forward? Is
2: that interesting? Question: um, Victor, and um, so there are organisations that, um, if they have looked at GDPR, if they have done some work around, um, you know, GDPR, which in many ways means having just a better understanding, a better control over the data uh, that you handle as an organization, Um, if they have done that, what I see clearly is that they now are pushing to create a unified approach that uh, that puts in the middle data lifecycle and then has security and privacy as part of that approach as well. So that you make sure that there are things that you can leverage across these three disciplines and then you take care specifically basically of the, the the things that belong to each of these disciplines. But they do see this as a unified approach. They understand that uh, you know, if I want to exploit data in a certain way, I need to make sure that I'm doing everything I have to do from a security and from a privacy standpoint so that I can go ahead and really um, use data in a way that is going to create differentiation, is going to create improvements in the way I engage with my customer, digital, whatever it is that they want to do. But if organization ever looked at data ways, and they are still looking in silos, thinking about, okay, this is security, so most likely things that I cannot do, or is a team that is going to tell me, no, you cannot do this, you cannot do that, and so you don't have idea of the risks, similar, uh, you know, for privacy. Um, so there are organizations that still live in, and they have a very siloed approach where i trying to have a data governance strategy that doesn't have even clear objectives, Because if I don't consider the risk, then I cannot even consider what really I can achieve from an exploitation standpoint. And clearly their strategies are not mature, but they don't achieve the potential that they could, uh, simply because, again, they act in a way that doesn't consider the full picture. And most likely when they put together a plan that they want to do something with the data, I may be entering into uh, um, an agreement to sell the data to someone else or even pass the data forward because they want to achieve a certain outcome. There will be someone within that organization that at some point will say, oh, no, you cannot do that. We have seen organizations where someone asks another team to delete all data. And that team didn't have a better answer to say, well, yes, I will do. Well, they keep doing things that are outside of the, of the visibility of security and privacy. But again, these are all good recipe for disasters. So the reality is if you don't have the risk-based approach, uh, to your, uh, you know, to your data in general, if you don't consider the privacy and security perspective in a unified way, uh, then it is a very short-lived strategy that you're gonna put together.
0: Yeah, and and sort of in the spirit of the world keeps spinning, we're early stages in artificial intelligence, we're early stages in more complex ecosystems driven or not by blockchain, all these other pieces that are inherently data hungry. And more to the point, they use data so much more strategically and out of sort of in a process standpoint, meaning humans don't intervene on the, the relationship between I get the data and I make business decisions because of that data. So how are companies thinking of this as it relates to the incoming wave of technologies that, again, are extremely data-hungry?
2: It's interesting. I put in a report uh, that is about published that I think that a company that underestimates or undermines privacy is going to undermine the potential for innovation. Thinking exactly about these scenarios, um, there is still um, a lot that has to do with this new uh, technology, artificial intelligence that you're mentioning, um, that you know, doesn't have a, regula- a regulatory foundation. Regulator are not advanced enough to tell us how shall we use data in the context of artificial intelligence, for example, but they have said, well, you can use what we know in terms of data protection and, and use the data in these other environments. What is true as well is that companies are asked to make ethical decisions today. And this is not something that a regulator is going to tell them, but it's about their own decision with ethics. If you have a strong, uh, you know, a strong um, uh, corporate culture on privacy and security, and you use these as elements to define your ethical choices as you approach artificial intelligence and other technology, this is going to go a long way. If you're an organization that is approaching Artificial intelligence, without any idea around ethical decisions, without privacy and security implications of that, um, again, you are not going to be able to exploit that um, for for um, you know to achieve the purposes that you would like to achieve, or for a um, for a long time. So um, I do believe that it's about. A- Protecting innovation and the potential to use this new technology, um, when we take into account privacy, security, and we use that as element of our ethical, uh, you know, guidelines as a business and ethical decisions.
0: But, but I think that's an interesting point because in some of the early tests of facial recognition and AI and other types of things, it wasn't a regulatory consideration; it was a social norm consideration and accused of profiling and other things. So it went against the social norms, but privacy is a human right. And the social norms actually have a lot to do with each other. It's like, what does the public or citizens or humanities think is appropriate? What level? The steps I take to to address GDPR are very much like the steps I would take to hit that social norm just to protect the brand.
2: Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that,
1: yeah how are consumers sort of reacting to gdpr how aware are they of this regulation um or how important is it to them
2: my answer has two parts uh, the very first one um is about you know data that we have and we know we've been asking um, uh, consumers about GDPR and you know we know that they don't necessarily recognize uh, the, the I mean they don't know exactly what the acronym stands for mm. but they know very well what is the data subject rights the access requests and you know they are all using that um, but also there is a um, another part of these uh, of these answers that is just closer to my own experience and um, and is a real story so this summer um, I was invited to um, a barbecue. It um, was, was organized by the local church where I live, just outside of London. And I went. At some point, the priest came up with um, a box of envelopes, and I thought was they were asking for money. So I went there, <laughs> I picked up one that. envelope, I opened the envelope, and da da There was a GDPR <laughs> consent form. <laughs> From the church, and all the other parents were commenting on uh, data access requests. And now I can ask companies to delete my data. I can ask company to, uh, you know, give me my data so that I can go to another competitor. And then the priest comes up and tells us about the efforts to comply with GDPR and all the stuff that he had to do uh, for it. So he kind of gave me the idea that this was really just a topic that everyone was aware of, that you could discuss in an informal meeting like the one I was having. And everyone seemed to be pretty well informed about what it meant and what they were going to do and how it would change their behavior, which was impressive to me.
0: And the so GDPR has been the law of the land since May in Europe. The argument is that it's going to become the law of the globe in some form or function over time. And broadly, companies are behind. Some are in a wait and see. Some are in it doesn't affect me yet and some are underway. So as you look at the landscape for, for Q4 and 2019, how do you see this taking shape in terms of companies finally cutting over into privacy by design or privacy as a core competency or whatever way you want to describe the ability to, to handle these kinds of regulations?
2: Well, I think that as we look um, in 2019 in particular, I believe that we are going to see the big headlines that some companies are waiting for uh, coming from, you know, regulators being in terms of fines or being in terms of um, regulatory enforcement action. And I think that this will push organizations to, uh, you know, go back to, to the work that they have done for GDPR and this time probably uh, do something that is more meaningful. Um, but I also would say um Forget about regulators. Uh, look at what your customers are asking you to do. Look at the way they are changing behaviors when it comes to privacy and security. And I think that if organizations pay attention to that, they, there is no choice. They will need to go back and make sure that they have uh, data handling practices that meet or exceed the, the expectation and the demands of, of their own customers. So from a regulatory perspective, I think there will be a lot happening in 2019. That will be a push. But go and look at what your customers are asking asking you to do and just act upon those, uh, those demands.
1: Thanks for joining us today, Anza. Always a
0: pleasure, Anza. Thank you.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: If you like what you heard today, please subscribe to Forrester's What It Means podcast on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or TuneIn. And don't forget to leave us a review. To continue the conversation, follow Forrester on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks for listening.